Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Uh, it's it's really a uh, privilege for me to be here this evening um, to share with you uh, uh, God's word. And the title for tonight's sermon is Abraham's faith is tested. Now, who likes writing tests? Maybe someone's here. Maybe is is uh, a person is here that that's still in school, still in varsity that's written a couple of tests, a couple of exams. There's still a couple of more to come. Maybe someone here is studying part-time while working, maybe something like a GCC government ticket type of thing or um, some other, other degree. And I mean, it's, it's, it's hard work to, to prepare for a test. And then you get to the test itself, um, you know, time is short, pressure is on, um, the questions are difficult. Stress levels are high. It's it's almost like a, a type of suffering while we're writing. And did you know that that Abraham also wrote a test? But the person who actually set up the test, set up the test paper, is is God Himself. And God's testing can be can be quite intense, as we will soon find out in tonight's passage. The question is not really if we as believers will be tested by God. The question is rather, how will our faith look like when we are tested? And before we jump in, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Lord, thank you for tonight. Thank you that you are a loving God. That, yeah, Lord, that we can just come to you with all our the, the challenges that we face. Lord, I thank, for, thank you for every person that's here tonight, Lord. Thank you that you know them, that you know where they are and what they're going through. Um, yeah, Lord, just come and speak with us um, tonight as we dive into your word. Um, come reveal your will to us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight we're going to read a passage from Genesis 22 verses 1 to 19, and uh, there's, there's one pastor in America, Justin Peters, he likes to say, if you want to hear God speak to you, there is one way I guarantee you, you will hear God speak to you, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. It's as simple as that. You don't need to search for God's voice. He's, he has already given it to us. And that's exactly what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to read the word for us. And that will be the only part of this sermon that will be the actual word of God when I read it, when I read from scripture. The rest will be the theologians and my, the theologians' interpretation that I base this sermon on, my own interpretation. And it's each elder and small group leader and member of the church's responsibility to confirm that what I am preaching, the interpretation that I have of this passage, that it is in line with Scripture. 
because what, what I like for us to do just before, before I read in Genesis, I would like to give us some context on the passage. And there are three important rules for, for interpreting the Bible. Context, context, context. Another rule is to first look at what the author who wrote the book or the letter, what did he intend to convey? What message did he want to convey to the original audience or the original readers of the letter? And what I mean by that is when we read the letter of Ephesians, we aren't the Ephesians. We aren't the original audience that that letter was written to. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. It's an important distinction to make. And nevertheless, I always try to encourage people when you, when you read scripture in your quiet time to try to not read only isolated or single verses at a time, but try to read whole passages, paragraphs, and chapters at a time. And that way you can really get a sense of the context. And too many people today, and unfortunately also in the charismatic movement, too many people today are being misled by false teachers who teach false doctrine that's based on an isolated verse taken completely out of context. So let's look at the context of the book of Genesis. Now the English title Genesis comes from the Greek translation of the, the Pentateuch and it means origin. So it's a, it comes from the Greek word and it means origin. And Pentateuch is just a fancy word for the five first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And the Hebrew title for the book is translated to in the beginning. And that's also the first phrase in the book, in the beginning. So we see Genesis is all about origins. The world, sin, the human race, the Jewish people, the Israelites. It's about beginnings and generations. Starting with the divine ordering of the creation, we see many generations, a family line tracing from Adam to Noah, to Abraham, to Jacob, to Joseph. And this family line forms a backbone of Genesis. In it, we see God is the God of generations. And Genesis provides the foundation for the whole Bible as well, because we can't appreciate the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ if we don't know where sin came from. And the author of the book of Genesis is Moses, and he wrote it while in the Sinai desert. So the Israelites left Egypt, and they were in the Sinai desert for 40 years. And that is when Moses wrote this this book, this Pentateuch, which Genesis is a part of. And he wrote between 1446 BC and 1406 BC in that 40 year time. And his original audience was the Israelites, the Israelites that were with him in the desert. And the purpose for Genesis, the purpose that, that Moses wanted to write the book of Genesis was to record God's creation of the world and his desire to have a people set apart to worship him. Turning to Abraham, we, we look at his backstory. We look at a, three highlights 
in his life. So in Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3, God chooses Abraham at the age of 75. He chooses him to bless him so that he can be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Here we see the another foundation in the foundation of the mission of God, where he wanted to have a relationship with mankind. He took the initiative and called Abraham to be his vessel of blessing. Abraham, um, um, Abraham in turn responded in Genesis 12 with faith. He left his country, his people, and he went to Canaan. And, and God gave a promise to, to Abraham in, in, in that chapter, in chapter 12, that consisted of offspring, that will be numerous, consisted of land, and it consisted of a blessing, a blessing to the rest of the earth. And that promise is repeated, Genesis 12, Genesis 18, and we will see that this promise again in Genesis 22. The focus on the promise, even though it has the, the element of offspring and land and blessing. The focus is on the blessing to all the nations. And then in Genesis 16, Abraham has a son, Ishmael, with the servant Hagar at the age of 86. So the promise included offspring between Abraham and his wife, Sarah. But Abraham and Sarah, they struggled to get pregnant and they, they made their own plans. So Abraham had a son, Ishmael, with the servant Hagar. And then in Genesis 21, we see then that Isaac is born from his wife, Sarah, and Ishmael and Ishmael's mother is sent away. Now we turn to Genesis 22. Abraham, 150, 115 years old. Isaac, his son, is, is in his teens. And this event that we're going to read here, Takes approximately, it takes place in approximately 2050 BC, so 4,000 years ago. So with all, of, with all of this context in mind, let's, let's read Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up. Sorry. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself, I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba. Now, what was Abraham's, or rather, what was Moses' message with this historical narrative? What was Moses' message to his original audience, his original readers? The first thing we see is Abraham's obedience, faith, and devotion to God is set forth as an example the Israelites are to follow. Abraham displays a remarkable trust in God, especially when the death of Isaac would contradict the, the promise that Abraham received from God. If God promised him offspring, why would he ask him to sacrifice his son? And yet, Abraham was obedience, obedient. The second thing is that God provides a substitution burnt offering. God is the one who provides the substitution sacrifice in Isaac's place. Even if Abraham didn't know exactly what God's plan was in that moment, he still trusted God to provide. And in this time when Moses wrote this, the Israelites were in the desert. And they didn't know exactly what's, what God's plan was for them to take the promised land. They weren't sure, but by reading this story, they can be assured, assured that God will provide for them. They are part of his plan and he will provide for them. Now let's move from the message to the original audience to what we can take from the text. What lessons are there for us? And for that, we, we're going to read verse one again. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Before we go further, I just want to make a distinction between being tested by God and being tempted. We know that from, from James 1 verse 13, we know that God himself cannot be tempted and he also does not tempt. He is unreservedly good. He would never seek to harm our faith and he never desires us to sin. He does not tempt. In 1 Corinthians 7, we read that Satan is the one who tempts. However, God allows us to be tempted by Satan 
but we are never tempted beyond our ability to resist. We read that in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. There's always a way to escape temptation, to endure it. And then Satan tempts us to make us fall, to make us stumble so that we will fail. Here in Genesis 22, temptation is not at stake, but testing. God tests. God tested Abraham's commitment. And likewise, God tests us to strengthen our faith, to strengthen our character. And through, through testing, our faith is purified and it is shown to be genuine. How sad would it be if our faith is never tested? Well, then we will never grow. We will never develop. Furthermore, when we are not tested, how would we know if we are truly saved, that our faith is genuine? In the church, we want believers and unbelievers. The door is open to both. What is not wanted is to have false believers, believers who think they are saved when they are not As, a, as Abraham's test, it was, like I said, designed to prove his faith. And for it to be a real test, it, it had to defy logic. It didn't make sense to sacrifice his son when God promised him, promised him offspring. And for the test to be real, it had to be something that Abraham wanted to resist. Because if God instructed Abraham to, to buy ice cream or something, it wouldn't be really much of a test. God tested Abraham not to trip him and watch him fall like when Satan tempts us, but he tested him to deepen his capacity to obey God and thus to develop his character. And just, just as fire refines ore to extract the metal from the ore, so God refines us through difficult circumstances, through trials, through testing. Now, when we are tested, we can either complain about it or we can try to see how God is stretching us to strengthen our faith and our character. And in verse 2, he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Like I mentioned, with the departure of Ishmael in Genesis 21, Isaac is Abraham's only son, the son of the promise, and the son Abraham loved very much. The outcome of the story indicates that God never intended for Isaac to be sacrificed. But this was the greatest demand that God could have made of Abraham. And in it, his, his commitment, his depth of, the, of his commitment, his devotion to God is illustrated. Then verse 3, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So what do we call 
that highlighted verse. What, what do you guys see there in Abraham's character? Obedience. Unreserved obedience. Abraham, Abraham promptly responds, arising early in the morning, to, and, and he, uh, he took the challenge, the test head on. He promptly responds to, to, to the test placed before him. That morning, Abraham began, began one of the most great, the, one of the greatest acts of obedience in recorded history. It took him three days. He traveled 80 kilometers to get from Beersheba to Mount Moriah. And over the years, he had to learn the tough lessons about the importance of obeying God. And in the past, he failed. This time, his obedience was prompt and complete. This time, Abraham was not going to fail. Obeying God is often a struggle. It's not easy to obey God, and it may mean giving up something we want. It may mean giving up something we love to obey God. We should not expect our obedience to God to be easy or to come naturally. So the first lesson we take from this passage and the question we need to ask ourselves is, how does faith in, in how does our faith in God look like when we are tested? And then we get to point one: faith obeys the word of God. Now I'm not saying that to be saved you have to obey God. It's not a salvation by works that I'm stating here. We know that we are saved by faith. But now we are looking at the characteristics of our faith. How does it look when we are tested? Faith obeys the word of God. Then we turn to verse 5 to, to look at the, the next lesson. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So what was, what was Abraham's expectation with this test? What do we see there in those two verses? Abraham expressed confidence that he would return with Isaac. He believed that both of them would return. God will provide. Even though Abraham did not know how God would provide, he knew that he would. He believed that God will provide. And in fact, we, we read in Hebrews 11 verse 19 that Abraham believed that God would be able to raise Isaac from the dead. So even if Abraham went through with the sacrifice, he still believed that he would return to his servants with Isaac because God would raise him from the dead. That leads us to the second lesson. When we are tested, faith waits on the Lord to provide all one's needs. 
Abraham also learned about God's ability to provide. Likewise, we are to have faith in God, in his provision during our testing. Even if we do not know how God is going to do it or when he's going to provide, we must trust in his provision. Whether it is material needs or spiritual needs, even if it's just the required strength to endure the time of testing, God will provide. Let's turn to verse 9 for the next lesson. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So in this passage, we see Abraham, that his faith is proved to be genuine. He took the knife to slaughter his son. His faith is genuine through his works. And we read in James 2 verse 21, faith without works is dead. God didn't want to sacrifice Isaac, but he wanted Abraham to sacrifice Isaac in his heart. So it would be clear that Abraham loved God more than he loved Isaac. That he loved God more than his long-awaited and promised son. I want to ask each one of you the question, will your faith be genuine when it's tested? Like I said earlier, how sad would it be if someone goes on for their entire life thinking they are saved when they are in fact not? Is our faith genuine? We see Abraham's love for God. And we know in scripture that, that we are called to love God with all our strength, our mind, our soul, and our heart. And this leads us to the third lesson from the text. When we are tested, faith surrenders the best to God, holding nothing back. God desires relationship with us. He wants our everything. Everything that we are, everything that we own belongs to God in any case. But he wants our everything. He wants our best. We should love him above all else. Let's turn to verse 13 for the last lesson. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Now, this is the first instance in the Bible where there's a substitutionary sacrifice for one life is sacrificed for another. And, and, and does this sound familiar? There are a couple of parallels we can draw between the Old Testament passage like this one and the New Testament. Notice the parallel 
between the ram offered on the altar as a substitute for Isaac and Christ offered on the cross as a substitute for us. Jesus, by his sacrifice, fulfills the symbolism of the Passover lamb and other Old Testament sacrifices like this one. Christ was the lamb, without spot or blemish. Then in verse 16, well, let me start at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abram a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Again, Abraham's devotion to God is paralleled to, paralleled with God's love towards us in Christ. So Abraham symbolizes um, the, the, the heart of the Father. However, whereas God stopped Abraham from sacrificing his son, God did not spare his own son, Jesus Christ, from dying on the cross. If Jesus had lived, like Isaac lived in this case, the rest of humankind would be dead for eternity. Everyone would have died eternally. God sent his only son to die for us so that we can be spared from the eternal death in hell that we all deserve. And instead we received eternal life. In verse 17 to 18, God speaks with Abraham. He says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So this oath focuses on Abraham's many descendants the possession of the promised land, and the blessing to all the nations. And we see that the first part of the oath, the many descendants, that was fulfilled when the Israelites were in Egypt. After Joseph had died and many years had passed, the Israelites increased in number. And that's when they fulfilled that first part of the oath. The second part of the oath, the possession of the promised land, that was fulfilled when Joshua and the Israelites entered the promised land and conquered their enemies. Unfortunately, when, when Joshua died, the Israelites did not obey God and did not kill all the nations that God instructed them to do. And they started worshiping other gods. They, started, they, they married the daughters of the other nations. And then they started on the path of idolatry. The Jewish Israelites to this day still fighting for their promised land. They still haven't fulfilled that part of the oath. And thus, they've never moved on to the last part of the oath, the blessing to all the nations. They were supposed to be the kingdom of priests. They were supposed to show the world who God is through how they, how they function as a nation, how they honor God how they punish evil, 
They were supposed to show the world who God is. From the perspective of the whole Bible, this oath to, to Abraham comes to fulfillment in Christ. He was one of Abraham's descendants, the tribe of Judah. Judah was a son of, jo of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac, the son of Abraham. Jesus was the one who overcame the enemies, like the enemies in the promised land. He overcame sin, death, and Satan. And then we know that, that he was our substitute offering. He died for our sins on the cross. He was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgiveness of sins and eternal life is in Jesus Christ. Knowing Jesus is the blessing. Repenting of sins, receiving eternal life, fellowship with Christ, that is the blessing. The gospel, the good news that is to spread to all the nations, the blessing to all the nations. So what we have here in verse 17 to 18 is the first great commission. And we know the, the great commission, there are verses in Matthew, Mark, John, and Luke that, that, that um, complete the whole great commission. But, but Matthew 28 is, is the most familiar one or the most popular one. But already here in Genesis 22, we see the Great Commission. Israel was supposed to be the kingdom of priests, the nation of disciple makers to the rest of the world. Now we are the offspring of Abraham through faith in Christ. We have been blessed by the gospel and we are to bless all the families, all the nations of the earth with the gospel. And that lead us, leads us to the final lesson Faith results in the blessing of all nations. Now, before, before I close off for us in prayer, I, I would like to ask two groups of people two different sets of questions. For the unbelievers, do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe in the forgiveness of sins found in him? Are you willing to repent of your sins and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior? Then for the believers, how does your faith look like when you are tested? Do you obey? Do you trust in the provision of God? Do you surrender your best and all to him? And finally, are you being God's instrument of blessing to all the nations? So let's stand tonight and I will close off for us in prayer. And while I'm praying, I would like to challenge each one of you here, I'd like to encourage you, if the Holy Spirit has convicted you of something or has, if something has stood out for you tonight, I would like you to, to come forward to the stage and quietly in your own, your own mind pray to God while I'm praying. It can be 
someone who comes to salvation to Christ for the first time, maybe it's a, a sin that, that, that the Holy Spirit has convicted a believer here, like we, we um, learn in, in the Lord's Prayer, you know, to, to repent of our sins daily. It can be anything on these lessons that the Holy Spirit has highlighted to you. So while I'm praying, I'd like just to invite anyone to come to the front and in your own time, pray to God. And you can even continue praying even when I close off wise. So let, let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for tonight. Well, thank you that you are the God of generations. Lord, from Adam all the way to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jesus, Lord, you are the God of generations, Lord, you are the same God in the Old Testament as in the New Testament. Well, thank you that we can trust in you when we are tested. Thank you, Lord, that you do not tempt us, that you taste us so that we can grow, that we can grow in character, that we can grow in our faith, that we can be strengthened. Yes, Lord, forgive us where we struggle to obey your word. Help us to walk, to follow your example, Lord Jesus, that we can grow in obedience, Lord. Help us to move from out of our comfort zones because that is where we grow, Lord, when we start to take the step of faith and act. Lord, thank you that we can surrender everything to you, Lord. For we know that everything that we are, everything that we own, everything belongs to you, Lord. Yes, Lord, may our hearts be to, to give you our best, holding nothing back. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one that loved us first with the greatest love, where you sent your son to die in our place on the cross. A greater love the world has never known. You did not spare your own son. May we love you with all that we are, with our heart, our mind, our strength, our soul. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who provides, that when we go through difficult times and tests and trials, and we know that you, you are the provider. You know what we need, when we need it. If it's material, physical, spiritual. Lord, then help us to even, even though we, we go through trials, to be the blessing to all the nations. We have received your blessing in Christ. We have received the gospel. May we live it out for you, for your glory, your kingdom every day. Yes, Lord, we ask that, Lord, let your kingdom come and will be done 
I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.